Nobody steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river, and they're not the same person. Heraclitus, 500 BC. Scriptures like that. That's why we like to reconsider our sermons. This is Pastor Mike with Adam Heath, and this is an almost weekly special edition to the ReChurch podcast. It ain't seven minutes. We call it Reflect. Hey, good to go. Hi, Adam. Hi. Nice to have you back. Thank you. You were on vacation? Yes. Got to <laughs> take the family up to Michigan. The last hurrah before school starts. Yeah, up, it's coming. My, my kids are very excited. And I, you know, as a teacher, I'm getting myself ready too. So I'm already having the back to school nightmares and <laughs> forgot to have a lesson plan sorts of things oh going gosh. on. Yeah. 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 You can wing it. Uh, it's been enough years. I think this is like my 17th year of wow. full time teaching. It's crazy. That's hard to imagine, but it's true. That is hard to believe. You've been teaching for a while too. What do you mean? Yeah. I just thinking back to you're kind of reliving your first days as a teaching pastor, like first and foremost yeah. teaching pastor. Yeah. You mean because of the changes in the Northwest and all that? Yeah, going back to the, the rec, rec center. center and oh my gosh. Um, you weren't back, so you didn't get to experience it. I know. It was awesome. Was it? Yeah, although I didn't know really what to expect. Just like everybody's have had a very difficult time really being able to formulate who's still with us, yeah, who's not. I mean, there's been a lot of really, really faithful people giving, um, serving groups, but I can't see it. I'm very visual. Yeah. So, and it's still summertime. So I was prepared to go in and have a conversation with 25 or 30 people. And, and that would have been very different. And it would have made me wonder if we had enough critical mass to actually relaunch. Right. You know, I don't know. And I walked in the front door and there was a ton of people still gathering and they cheered when I walked in. Oh, wow. And, and I was carrying a something. And so I had to walk straight through and it wasn't like, I don't, I didn't take any kind of like, it didn't feel particularly like, Oh, great me. I didn't feel like that. I felt like the cheer was, we're back. Yes. Here we are. Well, that had to be encouraging. Oh my gosh. It was Man. so encouraging. And then the production team went above and beyond what I thought they were going to do. As a matter of fact, I'm going to probably tell them to tone it down. Oh, wow. This is too much work. <laughs> I mean, they did so much to set it up and the stage was amazing and color and lights and uh, all that. And so I missed it. Oh, it was, it was so good. It was full and again, that's summer at the rec center. I know lots of people yeah. out there. So that was really, yeah, summer's a real, you know, there's a question mark always, always summertime. I think, but it's, everything looks so much better to me right now than it that's did gotta for a while. Oh my I'm, gosh. I'm, I'm curious. How many do you, how many people do you think aside from yourself were there for this first Sunday back at the rec center that were also there at the Sunday? I asked for a show of hands and it was like eight, eight. It was, very, it was a small handful of people, yeah. which I don't think it doesn't strike me as good or bad. It's just, wow. A lot, well, it's a also interesting because some of those people that were there at the first Sunday way back when mm -hmm. are here in Worthington normally. So. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. There are, there are tons of people that were there originally that are still a part of the church. They just weren't there that morning, but the room was full Yeah, and, but not necessarily people there. Yeah, it was really awesome. That's exciting. Very, very awesome. All right. So I'm going to, um, I'd love to get your thoughts on some of the things that I did talk about last week. Yeah. And then, um, and then <laughs> I'd like to hear what you were thinking about teaching this week before I realized 
or told you that you weren't teaching. It's better this way. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Okay, so I actually started in Acts chapter 17. Which is just a wonderful, wonderful chapter. What do you, what do you, what do you mean? What do you like about like? Well, I just think it's such a wonderful r- reminder of how the church is. We gather to worship, and then we scatter for vocation. Mm-hmm. We're we're outward facing. Mm-hmm. Paul very courageously and very lovingly goes into Athens. Yeah. I just love that chapter because it's a reminder to me and my posture needs to be shaped by the spirit of God and by the posture of Christ over and over and over again. Because I just think about how many things were true of Athens that would have made Paul in his, I don't know, for lack of a better word, flesh, really cringe. Yeah. But he loves them too much not to go. Yeah. I think it had to be very intellectually stimulating for him because— That's fair. He's here. He's been given a mission from God to take the gospel to the nations. And in Athens, he is getting a full dose of what is that challenge? Yeah. How do I present this to a, a, a people that otherwise don't really even have a God-centered worldview? Right. And he's I, up to the challenge. But oh, that my gosh. had to be really, you're right, stimulating is yeah. the right word. Yeah. He, I never caught this before, uh, but he was in, is it Berea? Before that, yeah, Berea, B E R E A, I think, yeah. And something happened. Somebody was coming to to uh, count counter them, and for some reason they decided not to step up to that particular resistance, and they sent Paul to Athens. And as soon as he got to Athens, he said, "I need everybody else to come here." Huh? I don't know what he was saying. He was like, "This is crazy over here," or yeah. something. Like this left hand turn was from God. Yeah, yeah, and so bring him. Yeah. So that's why Acts seventeen, at least the start part that I yeah, was chapter sixteen says. Curious, wow. What drew you there? What took you to Acts seventeen? Well, you know, we've been talking about why does this world need the gospel, hmm. and and in my view, this world needs the gospel because we have all of these other causes that are gripping the attention of young people, because in my opinion, they have this soul. They have this image of God implanted in them. They have this transcendent um, impulse within them. And God is being marginalized, the worldview, religion. And so people are just naturally turning to these other ways to be involved in something that's transcendent, which I think is exactly what you see in Athens. Yeah. All kinds of people that don't have a God center worshiping God knows who, what. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like you're describing... We, we grew up, or at least I grew up with this, this frequent phrase that we have a God-shaped hole. Yeah, right. Maybe it's more like a God-shaped vacuum. Mm-hmm. And that right. it's not just going to stay vacant. It's going to no. suck in something. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times probably something that seems very good on the surface yeah. or seems yeah. worthy of our attention. Yeah, that's exactly right. They are good, particularly the causes that people are involved in today. I do run the risk of um, someone wrongly concluding that I'm saying you shouldn't be involved in justice. You shouldn't be involved in the things that are wrong with the world. Um, That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm just saying we need to make sure that the cause that is central to us and that we understand is most critical for the people we're trying to reach is the gospel cause. It's got to be central. Because I do think it will make a, it'll make quite a difference what we're animated by. Imagine for instance, I'm animated by what I think is this this cause, or at least that's what I'm projecting publicly, but actually it's sort of this internal need to be recognized as a valid human being. Yep. What if 
I achieve the recognition as a valid human being. I haven't actually solved human trafficking yet or what have you, mm-hmm. but I am being recognized. Mm-hmm. I imagine then it would sort of fall apart at the seams. Like I would no longer be nearly as, I wouldn't be nearly as animated towards the external goal because the internal one was met. Oh, gotcha. But I think this capital G gospel that we, mm-hmm. that we have in Christ is sufficient for, uh, animating us outwardly while also healing us and affirming us internally oh, yeah. at the same yeah, time. Yeah. I'm going to repeat that back to you because I didn't track with what you were saying until right at the very end. And then I got it, I think. And I think it's astute. Now, this is brilliant. Uh, what you're saying is we have this internal longing. We think we can get it met and we imagine that we can be met by being involved in these causes. We get involved in those causes it does to some level provide some internal thing. And then we'd come to discover, okay, I feel better inside. I'm not really all that excited about that cause. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. I, I think that's what happens on social media too. People are not actually involved in causes, but they feel like they are because they're talking about them. Yeah. I'm a really friend, a good friend of mine up in Detroit is used to pass this huge church did I say he's a really good friend of mine? He's an acquaintance of mine in this huge church. We've had some small group discussions with him and learned some things from him. And he said one day he was talking to his kid and he was like, yo, everything you're writing is awesome. Everything you're talking about, all these engagements you have online. He says, I just have one question for you. Are you going to do anything ever? Right. You're going to go down there. You're going to go in there. You're going to go over there. Or are you just going to be over here? Well, you don't have to be connected to feel these days. Like you're actually involved in that cause and get some kind of internal good sense. Yeah. But what you're saying is the gospel like C.S. Lewis says, you get both. Yeah. Right. You go to the gospel and it does solve you on one level internally, but it also, to use your word, animates you passionately toward causes. I, th- I think it's true. I think that's a great way to put it. So what do you think about this? I did make the transition to, okay, so that's why we need the gospel. And then I started talking about what is the distinguishing characteristic of the gospel? Well, it was certainly Christ. I did try to do a disclaimer on this. Okay. The actual critical distinguishing fact, but I'm thinking, what is it that the world would get the world's attention? What makes our cause different than any other cause? And I started that conversation by saying it has something to do with the criticism that Paul was getting that he says in Romans 6, 1, he says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I'm exploring and have been thinking about what in the world was Paul saying? It was causing people to say, oh, if we follow Jesus, we can sin all we want. Right. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's, it is interesting to, to sort of try to think along with Paul. Mm-hmm. You know, I certainly grew up with this very strong sense of we should approach Scripture meditatively. And while we hold on to that, it's also, I think, instructive and helpful to us to begin to also see Paul and mm-hmm. Jesus as thinkers. Mm-hmm. Because then we can sort of maybe read in between the lines, start to see like, okay, what is this conversation that's taking mm-hmm. place? Right. And I, I think that you're right to do that and to ask ourselves like, wow, there must have been certain questions that are popping up right. that Paul has sort of masterfully woven into this treatise, this letter, and he's answering. Right. And it seems like this one question is, now, wait a second. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to tell me that the law is has done its job and it's over, right? 
And all that matters now is faith, trust in Christ, and my performance can't, which couldn't have satisfied anything anyway, no longer matters. It's Christ's performance that matters. Mm -hmm. Well, then right. what's stopping me from just That's exactly right. Sinning? What would keep me, how do we keep the world in check? How do I keep myself in check? Yeah. I need some kind of a hammer over my head in order I, to live yeah. life the way I should live it. If you I, take away that hammer. That's the human response, right? Yeah. You've got a carrot or a stick and which one, it's always going to be a stick, right? <laughs> yes. yeah. So I think you, you kind of had a, we were conversing earlier. You had a, an answer that I thought was really fascinating. What is it that starts to move us towards reflecting Christ more and more, right. even if our performance isn't the crucial mm -hmm. turning point? Yeah. You want me to answer that? Yes, again? please. Well, I think there's something very powerful for the human heart and the human soul to turn toward its savior, number one. Hmm. So when we see our behaviors out of alignment, which the law still does a really good job of doing for us, shows us. Yeah, that's the job of the law, right? It, is it shows us that we need a savior. We need a savior. It's, we're wrong. Um, for instead of trying to just find some new way to perform, which is great for society. I don't mean I appreciate people trying to, I like it when people try to behave. Yeah, it's nice of them. <clears throat> but when we don't, and we recognize that God's aim isn't our behavior, it's our heart, then what we have as an option now is to turn to our Savior who offers us forgiveness and grace and a filling of his spirit. There's something very, very powerful. I've always told my boys, it's not about willpower. When it comes to your moral purity, there is some of that, but there is something very powerful that happens inside the Christian when you start even begin to turn toward Christ and say, I trust you no better for me. Something that happens that we don't really believe that we believe it's completely our responsibility to alter our behavior. And I think the spirit indwelled person, when they turn to Christ for their failings and for their disappointments, that something does deeply happen that changes us. And when we quote, move back into the world from that quiet place, we're different and yeah. we have a different intention. Something else is compelling us. Yes. Jesus himself said, "Who he who is forgiven much loves much. There you go. Yeah. We think of that just in a very Western way. We think like it's an equation. You've been forgiven. Right. So you should love more. Those who, whoever's forgiven loves much. No, no, no. It is as you are forgiven, as you contemplate your forgiveness as you receive your forgiveness it changes you into a more loving person yeah it actually changes you yeah you've taught me over the years about these wonderful old testament prophecies that are spilling over in the book of acts like at the pentecost and mm. you know we, we have sons and daughters and old and young prophesying and this idea of the heart of stone being turned into a heart of flesh. Yeah. These old prophecies from Ezekiel and Joel. I and I think those things are not just, you know, vacant metaphors. They're, they're real embodied and experienced yeah. things for the Christian. I, I find it shocking to go back into the old Testament and discover that this has always been the God. 
We tend to look back and think, oh, we're going to find a moralistic mosaic kind of um, motif throughout the Old Testament. But then you see things in Hosea 6 where it's like, I don't want your sacrifices. Yeah. I want your mercy. That's crazy. He set up the sacrifices. (laughs) Yes. And he's saying, I want mercy. I want your heart. I want a compassion. He could have easily said, I want when you're making these sacrifices, I want to see a compassionate, wonderful, you know, transformation of heart going on in the process of disobedience. I don't want just obedience. Yeah. So um, I got to this spot where, um, okay, so practical application, <laughs> practical application for the pastor, you know, deliver. It's like, and I even posed this to the, to the church. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to tell you what to do at the end of a message where I said, it's not about what you do. Yeah. So this is where I went. And I'd like to get your thoughts on this. It's two, it's two steps, really. One is to allow scripture, to allow the spirit, and to allow your own performance to simply reflect back to you where you're failing. Okay, that's important. David said, search me and know me. Show me the wicked ways that are in me. Lead me to repentance. You know, I'm paraphrasing. The scripture has all sorts of direction from God. And we can look at that. We can hear the spirit. We can look in the scriptures and we can look and very sort of naturally know by looking at our life where we're failing. So you, you see that, but then you take a different route from there. Because normally, and I asked, I literally asked the congregation, said, so what would you do if I said that you're doing this poorly? You'd say, I try to do it better. You right. know, it's like, Dad, that's what we think. You point it out, then you try to do it better. I'm saying, that's not the right first step. The right first step is to take that sense of, maybe a, a righteous sense of guilt and shame on some level that, and take that to Jesus first and get forgiveness. Grip on his grace. Remember, it's about his performance. And be reestablished in the space that you're established in Christ and allow that to powerfully change you and then turn and go about your life in a different way. But you have to have to take that other step first. Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a, a beautiful first point is if you think about how powerful that rhythm could be, because if I'm if I'm attentive and thoughtful about my failings, um. I will be then, if I'm following your advice closely, driven towards Jesus yeah. routinely. And what better, what better result could there be? Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm profoundly influenced by the word picture you've created over the years of this idea of there being two slippery slopes. Right. One that says, "Oh, I did achieve this perfection of my." performance mm-hmm. and then I slip into pride right or it's one option <clears throat> condemning myself because I didn't achieve the mm-hmm. perfection and really the only way to stay anchored established like yeah. Paul says is to grip onto this this cross the grace yeah. of Christ and I, so I think to be routinely pressed back into that space that that seems to me to be exactly what Christ is thinking about when he's talking about, you know, walking with him, following him. Yeah. It's a a constant thought, a constant meditation on who he is, what he's done for us. And uh, man, we would be profoundly changed by that. Don't you, don't you imagine that that must be the sort of thing that Paul had in mind when he said to pray continuously? Yeah. It wasn't about making constant requests of God. No way. 
Yeah. Would be like you literally just said that has to be a constant meditation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The constant sense of, wow, I'm not thinking about this the way you think about this God. Help me to think about this the way you think about it. Help me to see this person the way you see this person. Help me to experience this moment the way you do. And there is this this real interaction then with the Spirit of God, the trust that says that's where life is found. Mm-hmm.